Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Seven weeks in Isaiah. Um, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Now, it might not seem like it, it might not seem like it, uh, but this week is going to be a little bit of an introduction, and I hope that it's going to be an introduction that is not just introducing something, but that is actually helpful and worshipful, and in and of itself is teaching us more about who God is and what He desires of us. So, week one, an introduction, and this week... We introduce the entire book as Isaiah introduces his preaching topic for the entirety of his ministry, and that is that God judges his people, or rather he is stating the fact that judgment is coming down upon God's people. Not a happy thing, right? Um, But one thing that we will see from Isaiah all the way throughout the book is that even when judgment is preached about, good news follows. And as we go, we're going to see it's not just um, good news for God's first people, Israel, but it's going to be good news for all people, as it was always destined to be, as it was always decided to be by God, uh, starting in Genesis and with the promises made to Abraham. But here's our big idea for the book of Isaiah. Okay, are you ready for this? The big idea. Sin leads to judgment, but God saves sinners. Sin leads to judgment, but God saves sinners. Now, here's a legitimate question that we could all ask ourselves. Why do we really need to study the Old Testament? Or why do we really need to study Isaiah? I mean, let's be honest. It's a little bit barbaric. Okay, There's lots of blood. There's lots of fighting. There's lots of this judgment that we're talking about. Um, it could be seen as racist. It could be seen as prejudiced against women. It could be seen as any, many things. Well, let's just be honest. Let the very basic thing that it is, it's just old, right? I mean, why would we study something that's so old like this? And we have Christ. We've been saved, as we read about in Romans 5 this morning. Why would we go back and look at this? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, the first of which, um, we see in 2 Timothy Chapter 3, 14, 17, you probably know these verses very well. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, this is Paul talking to Timothy, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God. So this includes Isaiah. This includes the entire Old Testament. Profitable. It's good for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness 
That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And that's speaking specifically about elders, but we can say the man and the woman of God may be complete. Or we could look on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. And it says this, Jesus said, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Here's the beautiful part. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So, we have Jesus. Why, why do we need to worry about Isaiah? Because Isaiah is talking about Jesus, right? Isaiah is pointing to Jesus. And we're going to see that more and more as we go on. And then one last one. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. Make it very simple. In Christ, all of the promises of God are yes. And because of it, we can say amen. All the promises of God are made true in Christ. So this is why we study the Old Testament. Because there are many promises made to us in this text of the Old Testament, but also specifically in Isaiah. Now, we do need to have a little bit of background, though, okay? And don't hate me for this, okay? But we need to have a little bit of introduction to how we should be looking at the Old Testament. And don't worry, we're going to get to the text this morning, and we're going to plow through it, and we're going to be totally demolished by the text this morning, and that's a good thing. Um, But when we look at the Old Testament, there's probably going to be some phrases that I use that are good for you to remember. Uh, And one way of describing the Old Testament would be that it's in that that larger book that we have, the the three quarters of our Bible, 75% of our Bible, we have the good news promised to us. The gospel of Jesus promised to us. And in that first large part of the Bible, we also said another way, have promises made to us. And then in the New Testament, we see the good news realized or made real to us. In Christ, we see the promises that were made in the Old Testament kept in the New Testament. Also, there might be some things that seem odd when we're going through Isaiah. For instance, why would God's people rest so heavily on the fact that they are Jewish? And why would they still do religious activities despite the fact that their hearts are completely disobedient? Why would they do that? Well, one big theme that we see in the Old Testament is this, and it revolves around kind of three little phrases here. Um, God's people, that is that God is setting aside a people for himself. He wants those people to be in a place that he has designated for them. And then here's the part that we all struggle with. 
He wants them to be under his rule or under his authority. So God's, God's people and God's place under God's authority. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament, right? We see it beginning in Genesis. We see God create Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, his first people, and he creates a place for them to be. And he wants them to live a life that is in accord with his character, that matches his character, right? He wants them to be his people in the place that he has made special for them and under his authority. And yet, Adam and Eve decide to go in a different direction, right? And be under their own authority. And because of that, they're removed from God's place. But they're still God's people. And God creates a people for himself in Israel, right? In the Jews. And he says that he's going to set aside a land for them. But because of their continual unfaithfulness it takes them a while to get to that land and to see those promises met and fulfilled in their lives and then they finally get into that land and things seem good until they decide that you know what we want god we want to be under your rule kind of but we want a visible king all these other countries don't fear us because we have no one sitting on a throne and we know judges and the mess that ensues there. And then finally they get a king. And then that king is removed and then another good king is brought in. And it's through that king that God makes a promise that one of his ancestors will be on a throne forever ruling over God's people. So throughout the Old Testament we see this, this theme of God's people in God's place under God's rule. And we're also going to see in the book of Isaiah that God's people once again have taken this big idea here and they've shifted things around. They've desired to be under their own rule and doing as they please. No longer calling themselves God's people until they need to. And this causes many problems. Okay, then just a couple more things here. As we go through today and throughout all of Isaiah, we're going to see two more big thing, themes pop out at us. The first is salvation. But the bad news is that this salvation comes um, not out of the blue, not out of nowhere. It comes through judgment. Said another way, we're going to see over and over and over again God bringing His law before His people and showing them, holding it up like a mirror and saying, you're not living up. You're not acting like My people. But always in response to that, gospel is given or good news is given as well. So, here's what we want to say. Now, I think it's very true that if we can better understand the Old Testament, um, it will go a long way in helping us to understand the New Testament. Which means that we will better understand Christ. We will better understand our faith. We will better understand God and His character 
And in that, we will better understand ourselves. So, is Isaiah important? It's very important. Very important. Okay. Then a couple of people and places and dates and ages, okay? People, places, dates, and ages. Um, We're going to meet a man named... I actually struggle with these names all the time. How many times did I practice this this week, right? Um, Ahaz, okay? And he's a king. He's an okay king, but he's also an ignorant king who fails. Uh, He's afraid of the nations around him. At this point, God's people have actually been split into two groups, the north and the south, and the north claims that they're the real Israel, and the south claims that they're the real Israel. And um, Ahaz is a king that's in the south, and he's afraid of this Israel of the north and everyone that they could team up with that would attack the south. And so what does he do? Instead of trusting God, he decides to team up with all of God's enemies. And this winds everyone up in a bunch of trouble. Then we meet another king whose name is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah starts off much like Ahaz, and yet he turns into quite a good king. A good king who trusts God. And because of that, God wins a battle for them against those enemies from the north. And also, because of that, uh, Hezekiah is sick and then Hezekiah is healed. And yet, when he feels this renewed lease on life, he decides to do something that is very, um, well, I'll just use the word stupid, okay? He makes a stupid choice. And we don't know all of his motives for this, but he seems pretty proud of everything that he's been put put in control of. And this is going to lead to a lot of trouble. Um, We're going to see some different groups brought up too. We're going to see Israel, which is the northern kingdom. We're going to see Judah, who is the southern kingdom. We're going to see the Assyrians, who are some pretty bad dudes on the scene, but God takes care of them. And then we're going to see Babylonians, who these are really worse people on the scene. And God is going to eventually take care of them. But we have Israel and Judah, God's people. We have these enemies in the north. And then we also have just generally, the nations spoken about. And we see judgment against God's people, and we see judgment against the nations, but here's the good news. The the actual good news is that Christ, or rather a Savior, or a promise of a future, is not only offered to God's people, but it's offered to all the nations. In fact, we see the promise that one day all the nations will stream to learn God's law, to understand who God is and what he wants from us. We also see echoes, or rather, um, Isaiah used a lot in the New Testament. In fact, other than the Psalms, Isaiah is the most quoted scripture in the New Testament. 
And also, as we read, especially through chapters 1 through 5, study through it. We might not have time to read through all of it. As we study through chapters 1 through 5, we're going to see a very similar pattern to what we see in the first three chapters of the book of Romans. The preaching, the teaching, and the prophesying of Isaiah is extremely important to us understanding the whole Bible. So that's why we're here this morning. And before we run out of uh, energy, have to listen to... Oh, you know, here's another interesting thing. One, one other king that I forgot to mention. He, he's not actually mentioned in here. Um, but this is another reason why the book is important. See, I, I, Isaiah, he's a prophet. And we're going to see a little bit about what that means here in this first chapter. But what it simply means is... He is speaking the actual words of God. And in speaking the actual words of God, he's not doing something funny like touching us on the shoulder and saying, okay, yesterday you wore this color of socks. No, that's that's not what the prophet is doing. What the prophet is doing is he's helping to clear our eyes of our sin and to see things the way that God sees them. Isaiah, Isaiah starts um, his ministry around the year 740 B.C., and he ministers for a very long period of time. Um, and even though it's more historical rumor than it is anything else, we know that Isaiah ministered for a long period of time, and then eventually he was killed by probably a very bad king by the name of Manasseh. And Manasseh was a bad dude. Um, In fact, so bad that he was sacrificing babies in the temple where God was to be worshipped. And we have from his history that Isaiah was actually cut in half like a covenant offering to the Lord by Manasseh. And Isaiah's ministry stretches. He was prophesying a hundred years into the future. 150 years in the future, 400 years into the future, and still today we have promises from the New Testament that hold up that the things that Isaiah said are still going to come true even yet. So Isaiah is important for a long time in our history. Okay. Without further ado... Let's see what Isaiah has to say about the judgment that is coming upon God's people. So why don't you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1, starting verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah... So what do we know, first off? This is a vision. Ooh, that sounds, that sounds cool, right? I mean, we, we've probably heard of people having visions. I guarantee you they weren't as complex as this one, okay? <laughs> um, but here, here's the thing. What, what are we talking about when we're, when we're talking about a vision? Does this mean that like a movie, all of this played out in front of Isaiah? I don't know. 
I don't know. What I do know is this, that the kind of language that's used in Scripture when talking about a vision that is being seen is that actually this probably isn't going to play out exactly like what we have in Isaiah. That is, everything that Isaiah is saying is going to come true. But we're going to read some things that talk about God's people being bruised from head to toe and bloodied from head to toe. And that's true, but it's kind of uh, a way of describing what's going to happen. Not necessarily that God's people are one giant person that is bruised from head to toe, right? So this idea of a vision is that God is giving, uh, I hate the word, but symbolic language to Isaiah to describe the depths of the sin of his people. And so that's what a vision is in this context. Um, we also see that Isaiah is a real person living in a real place in a real time. Okay, And this vision doesn't play out, obviously we have it written down today, doesn't play out as a vision that he just goes out and describes. And hold. No, what we see in the book of Isaiah is probably preaching that Isaiah did all over Judah, all around God's people, going about and preaching these different messages and chapters that we see and, and talking about these, this different language that God has given to him to describe the, the state that they are in. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Isaiah is speaking not just to God's people now, right? He's speaking to the heavens. He's speaking to the earth. He, he's saying, this is the word of God. And everyone, everywhere needs to hear it. And what do they need to hear? They need to hear that God's children, that he has lovingly Reared, that he has brought up and taken care of, that they have rebelled against him. Now, we often think in the New Testament that fatherly language is a new thing about God. And, and oftentimes people have said that Jews didn't see God as a father. No, no, no. Yes, they did. Okay? And, and God himself calls himself their father, his parent their parent, that he has been raising them. And I'm just going to keep reading through the text here, okay? The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Isaiah is saying, look, even not the brightest of farm animals knows who the boss is, okay? <laughs> they know who the boss is, but Israel, you don't even know who God is anymore. The one that calls you his people, that has put you in his place and desires you to be under his authority, you act like you don't know him. Oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers. This is charged language. No, no, they're a holy, set-apart nation, right? God calls them a sinful nation. They're weighed down to the ground with sin. He calls them offspring of evildoers, but they would say, oh, but our father was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And we have the promises of Moses and of David and of Abraham. 
offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. We're going to see this phrase over and over again. The Holy One of Israel. Uh, It's used a couple other places in Scripture, but really Isaiah is the only one that uses that name for God. They are utterly estranged. They are children that have nothing to do with their parents. Why will you... Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up. Isaiah is saying, look, you are a complete mess. You are a complete mess apart from me. And you are going to be made into a complete mess. Wounded. Forsaken. And the wounds are not pressed. They're not bandaged up. They're not being healed by anyone. Even though we're going to see in Isaiah 61 that there is someone that wants to do that. There is someone that wants to dress our wounds for us and heal us. And yet God's people are not listening to him. Your country lies desolate. And now here's when things get interesting. I'm in in verse 7 now. Because this isn't happening yet. In fact, um, look, God is convicting his people of sin. When was the last time, though, that you really felt the Holy Spirit saying, you are bruised from head to toe. Your life is an open sore that is not being healed. You have forsaken your God. You've abandoned your Father. When was the last time that we've been convicted of our sin like that, right? I mean, usually when we talk about conviction of our sin, we're talking about, oh, yes, I mean... I felt bad about this thing that I did, and then I said sorry. And that's good. But what Isaiah is doing here is he's giving us God's vision for what our sin actually looks like. For us specifically, he's giving us the glasses that we need to look at our sin and say, that's what Christ died for me for. And we, we see now in verse 7 a little bit of a, a picture of what is to come for God's people. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very present, presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. It's a strange word. It just simply means enemies of God's people. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. That's all strange language, a lodge in a cucumber field. I I feel like that could be a very touching novel, okay, a heartwarming novel. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about it's a time of war, and there's no time to farm, and now this little, uh, you know, hut that is in the middle of a field where a farmer stays to make sure nothing's attacking his crop, it's left stranded, And there's no one there working the field. 
And in fact, everything is being consumed. But that's not happening yet, right? In fact, God's people are experiencing a time of blessing and of plenty. And here's what's really interesting about that. One of, the, one of the big things that God's people are faced with here is the fact that God has promised to bless them. He did so to Abraham, and he continued to do so with his people, but for a reason. And what did he tell Abraham? I have blessed you to be a blessing. But this is not what they are doing. And they've decided that these blessings that they receive, this abundance and this prosperity and plentiful harvests where they can trade with other nations and make friends with the people around them, they've decided that what God's covenant with them, what His promises with them actually mean is that they will be blessed no matter what. But what they have failed to understand and what they have mixed up They've confused their expectations for what God should do for them with who God actually is. They've forgotten who God actually is. They think He is the blessings that they receive. They've confused the fact that there are requirements that they must fulfill to the promises that God has made to them. Now, God's still going to be faithful, He's going to fulfill promises. And yet they have a part in that as well. So they've confused the requirements of the promises God has made with the blessings of the promises God has made. This actually shouldn't sound so strange to us. If we were to look at Romans chapter 2, verses 25 to 29, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? <laughs> okay. Long story short, lots of painful things happening in this verse, but we'll say it like this. that If we have received God's promises, uh, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. And yet, if on the outside you're banking on the fact that, yes, I'm a keeper of God's promises, what Isaiah is saying, what Paul is saying, is that no, that's not the way it works. You're not a part of God and His people. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have written code and circumcision but break the law, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Verse 10, hear the or wait, verse 9, sorry. If the Lord of hosts had not left a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. All right, now these are very hard words. 
Right? These are historical, not just enemies of God's people, like, say, Babylon or Egypt. These are historical enemies of God and his character. And luckily, Isaiah just said that, well, if God had not blessed us, we would have been like them. And just in case we misunderstood what he was saying, he goes on in verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Hold on, wait. No, no, you just said that we would have been. Now you're saying we are them? This is how far that we've fallen? Verse 11, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. What's God saying? What were sacrifices for? Sacrifices were symbols. They were symbols of the repentance, the turning away from their their sin and their selves and turning to God of God's first people, Israel. It was a way of saying that, yes, I have repented. But instead, God's people got lost in their religion instead of lost in their Lord. And they decide to start sacrificing to get rid of their sin. And that is not the way that it works. In fact, we see the blessings of God here. I mean, these are not birds or grain or any other thing. These are big animals, right? Of bulls, of lambs, and of goats. This is good sacrifice. Why would God not accept this? We probably all know Psalm 51, but verses 16 and 17 in particular, for you, David speaking to God here, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. Now, is David going to make a sacrifice? Yeah, Nathan's going to do it with him. And yet, David realizes that that sacrifice, that bull, that ram, that goat, that's not what God's talking about. He wants your repentance, not your sacrifice. So we're running out of time now, which is okay. Because we have six more weeks. (laughs) what should this tell us though this last bit about worship and about sacrifice right I mean we're not going to go out today and make a sacrifice for our sins why because there's been a sacrifice made on our behalf but this should help us to question our worship have we confused the blessings that we receive? Have we confused our expectations about what God is going to do for us for who God actually is? Have we confused the things that God asks us to do for the blessings that we receive? Just a couple more verses here. 
in verse 13. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. Uh, He's saying, look, all the religious things that you do, I I can't stand it anymore. I can't keep up with the way that you're deciding to worship in a holy fashion and sin while you're doing it. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates, says God. They have become a burden to me. And I am weary of bearing them. Two things that you never want to hear from God, right? (laughs) You've become a burden. He's weary of carrying us. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Stop being evil. Learn to do good and seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's case. What God's saying here is that repentance is always repenting. (laughs) That is to say that we don't just say that we're sorry and then we move on. It's a continual examination of ourselves. Looking at our lives, our souls, our words, our hearts. And constantly keeping in check the fallenness that is inside of us. Now I'm being serious. I really am going to stop there now. Okay, I'm really going to stop there. (laughs) Except for, in that, we see a couple of words here. Justice righteousness, faithfulness, or holiness. We can use those two interchangeably here. These are three things that God is always calling for his people to have. Throughout all of Isaiah, throughout all the prophets, we're going to see that. And I think that we're going to continue to see that throughout the New Testament as well. So where to stop at today then? Here in a couple of minutes, Pastor Tom's going to come up and lead us through the Lord's Supper. So I'm actually saving the good news for him today. Good cop, bad cop. I get to be bad cop. Examine yourself. Are you relying upon God's faithfulness without thinking about what he requires of you? Are you worshiping in spirit and in truth as Jesus said to the woman at the well? Or are you worshiping with blood on your hands? Do we rely too heavily on the promises that God has made to us without thinking about what it is that he actually desires of us? Are we maligning God's character and becoming a burden that is too heavy for him to bear. 
We are invited to faithfulness. We are invited to justice. If you'll remember, we have a conference coming up. It's going to be at the end of May, Everyday Justice. Here's what's so beautiful about it. It is going to touch upon this fact of how we treat orphans and widows. Whenever we look at biblical justice, we cannot forget that justice is not just our actions, but it is also the justice of God that we talk about. And that is why um, that is why um, it is here in the book of Isaiah that we are moving from judgment to salvation salvation through judgment. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.